You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All right. Uh, hey, everybody. Thanks for coming back to the Hunter's Advantage podcast. This is episode number 94, and today we're joined by Christian Shropshire. I love the name Christian that we share a name. It's the best name in the in the world. I agree. I agree. <laughs> no, but uh, Christian's an Iowa public public land buck-killing assassin. Uh, we met on TikTok. He commented on one of our videos, and we thought, man, what uh, not a better guy to bring on the podcast to talk about hunting big bucks on public land. But um, after that long preamble, thanks for joining us on the show, Christian. Yeah, How's hey, it going thanks today for having for you? me. A little bit of like what we alluded to on the on the TikTok uh, video that we posted that you commented on was, you know, one of our goals with the podcast is just to get like everyday folks on that aren't TV hunters that just go get it done on public land, like to have normal jobs. And I'm one of those guys. You're one of those guys too. I know you're saying you drive a truck for a living. Um, I just feel like it's extremely relatable, um, and I feel like if we have these sort of conversations with everyday folks, we can really learn something from each other. But dude, I've been looking, I've been watching your TikToks. How has your shed season been going? Uh, uh, you know, I, I wrapped it up on shed season about a month ago. Uh, cause you know, Turkey came into effect and I haven't hunted Turkey for a while. So I got pretty hard into it this year. So I quit shed hunting about a month ago, but it was actually really spotty compared to the last two years. I mean, I still did very well. I came out end of the season with 61, um, but a lot of it came down to weather. Uh, the year before, you know, it was a really cold winter, so all the deer were congregated into certain areas. And, I mean, one spot I went to, I found uh, 24 sheds, and it was, oh, geez, within three acres. It was literally, I'd grab one, look up, and there'd be two more, and I'd get over to them, and I'd look up, and there'd be another one. As to coming into this year, we had a really easy winter and the deer were very healthy. So they kept their antlers longer. Um, I didn't find much for size this year. Found a couple good ones, but a lot of smaller ones. And they were just really spread out compared to the previous years, mainly due to the weather and the crop rotation. Yeah, no, I I don't know if this is a, a countrywide thing this year or what, but I've heard of a lot of people saying that deer have been holding their sheds or their antlers a lot longer this year. It was, seemed like it was the beginning of turkey season, and people were like, were mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm still seeing some bucks with horns. And I'm like, what? Yeah, I was up to the second week of first season. I actually had two bucks on camera that still had one antler. I mean, they weren't very big, but uh, a lot of people, you know, there's a whole lot of different theories on why antlers drop when they do and how long they hold them. But a lot of people don't realize that the healthier that the deer is and the healthier the herd is, the longer they will hold their antlers. It has, I mean, yes, it has a lot to do with testosterone and stuff like that, but another big portion is the health of the deer. And with the mild winter that we had in the spring we had, they were very healthy. Every deer I seen hunting looked great. Um, so that, I think that played a big factor into why a lot of deer held so long. Well, I guess that's good news for people that are seeing you know, antlers yes. holding on a lot longer this season. I know it's interesting. Uh, I know a lot of people say that um, when a deer is like hurt or injured, like one of the first things they'll do is, is get rid of their horns as a way of like survival. Yeah, it's, it's a survival. 
survival thing, but it's a stress thing. Um, yeah. It's kind of the same thing as like when a deer is in velvet growing their antlers. If, uh, I mean, obviously if they get hurt or hit by a car, but even if, um, let's say you get a bunch of hikers and they keep pushing the same buck out of different areas and they keep stressing him out, he will not grow normal. He'll actually start growing abnormal points or do something goofy just because he's so stressed in the growing process. And you know, it's, it's crazy all the different little factors that go into the growing and the dropping of the antlers. Oh no. Yeah. A hundred percent. Can you give me a little bit of background into kind of how you grew up hunting? What, what you were into? Did you start out as a deer hunter, small game? Kind of, how did you get started? Um, I was actually really young. Uh, I met my stepdad and, uh, you know, he, he lived on a farm and I had never had anything to do with the outdoors. I was never taught about the outdoors or anything like that. And, um, one day I think I was like 13, I was down in our basement just being nosy. And he had an old longbow down there with like a 20 pound, maybe a 30 pound draw on it with, you know, the big aluminum arrows and the great big fat veins on them. And, uh, I asked him if I could play with it and he started me off with shooting, uh, round bales, square, uh, hay bale. And, uh, I started doing that. Well, one day I was up there and I seen a rabbit. And I was like, well, I'm going to rabbit. It was a perfect thing. Didn't even run. And I was like, Ooh, I could get good at this. And that's every day when I got out of school, that's what I did was I shot that long bow and I, this went on for a few years. And then, uh, one Christmas, uh, they seen how much I was loving the archery. So they bought me my first compound, which was the bear game over. And, uh, I was super excited and I went to draw it when I got out and my little weak self, I couldn't draw it back. And you know, I was real upset about that. So I went down to the barn and <clears throat> I took a half of a uh, brick and I grabbed a pulley from our machine shed and I made a pulley system to teach that muscle. And uh, within a month I was able to draw it. And, um, you know, I started getting into hunting. My stepdad, was never really a big bow hunter. He was just the occasional gun hunter. And uh, so I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent self-taught when it comes to archery. And I went a couple of years or two seasons without seeing anything. Uh, and then I started seeing them and uh, this still breaks my heart to this day. Me and my buddy went to go out and we got to the spot. We fell asleep in the truck when we got there and we woke up and it was already daylight. Right, crap. I think it was like nine o'clock in the morning. And what this was was just a big CRP field with a little draw that ran up it that was about two, three hundred yards long. But there was a little pond and a big beaver dam up at the top end of it. And I read in a magazine that those big bucks like to home or, you know, home around the backside of beaver dams because beavers are so smart. And I was like, well, it makes sense. So we wake up late and, you know, we're rushing and I have, I used to cut strips of t-shirts and put them in Ziploc baggies. I jump out and I tie it around my boot and I put doe estrus on the bottom of that cloth on the bottom side of my boot. But we started walking down the road and like, oh, we can't walk up in there. So we sat on each side of the road and there's a little culvert right there. And my buddy sits up against the fence post. I think three minutes goes by and he's already sleeping. And I'm just kind of, you know, moseying, looking at the sky because phones weren't a thing. And uh, I heard something on the gravel and I look up and here's a buck and he's walking right past my truck, nose down on the exact trail that I walked down the road. And um, at the time, I didn't realize how big he was. But now that I'm 
him older. I, I'm pretty safe to say it was about a mid-160. He was just a giant. Oh, my God. And he gets to within 15 yards. He's 10 yards from my buddy that's asleep. And uh, I ended up shooting. I hit him. I seen my arrow laying on the road. Well, I'd never had any encounter like this before, and I thought I missed him. And I walked up, and, you know, it's the blood on the arrow. I'm like, oh, my God, I hit him. Well, nobody had ever taught us with a bow if you shoot a deer you have to you have to wait to go track them we didn't know that so we start going and it's it's standing corn i mean it was a freaking horror scene just blood all over and uh the farther we kept going it just kept dissipating and dissipating and dissipating and we never ended up finding him we brought four or five guys out and never did recover that deer um but after that moment and you know i was pretty heartbroken as a little boy <laughs> but um that's where it really started for me was just having that encounter and you know getting that shot and being able realizing that i can actually do this and it kind of just took off from there and um, my first buck that i ended ended up harvesting i spot and stalked it for 140 yards it was actually a 63 yard shot and wow. he was a eight pointer that was about a whopping 90 inches in antler you know but when I got him, I was I was the happiest person in the world. And then, you know, I just kept growing from there. How old were you uh, when you shot the, you said the 160 that you didn't find? I think I was, uh, I was 15 when I shot that. Could your so. buddy drive or, or how did you guys get out there? Oh, no, we're, we were on gravel roads. And, you know, back then, it, the rules were weren't the way they are now and my parents told me as long as i was on the gravel and i was respectful i could take the truck but if i left that gravel and they found out about it i lost all rights <laughs> uh that's awesome it's funny you say that my uh my grandpa told me a story he said he started driving to school when he was 13 and uh, <laughs> oh nice he said he had a hypo that would just sit on the road right before he would uh come into town and he said he would pass him every day for three years. And he said that the day after he got his license, uh, the guy pulled him over and he goes, give me your license. And he said, uh, he gave it to him. He goes, you got your license yesterday. And he goes, you've been driving down this road for three years. And he said, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I got it now. He said, he said, I have it now. And the guy was like, gosh, that, dang. That's all that matters, right? He had it when he needed it. He got into to bow hunting um, that young. Have you, have you kind of kept that? going the whole time are you primarily a bow hunter or do you dip and dabble in the rifle and muzzle it and all that stuff um you know believe it or not i i've been hunting since you know i was i was pretty young um and i'm gonna i'm gonna be 31 this year and <laughs> believe it or not i've never i've never even shot a muzzleloader uh never done early or late muzzleloader season um it's always been primarily bow and shotgun season for me uh, I used to be really big into the party hunting, uh, the pretty much, uh, a guy that used to rent one of our farms from us. Uh, he was actually the first person to ever take me out hunting. I think I was 13 and my mom told me to come here and I come back there and here's this big old hillbilly looking bearded, missing teeth guy I'd never seen before. And he was asking to take me out coon hunting and I, you know, I was kind of reluctant, but my parents knew him. He was a good guy. And, uh, uh, I'll never forget that day. That was kind of where everything, the outdoors started for me. Cause he took me out and he had uh four blue tick hounds 
and we ran hounds coon hunting and i'd never experienced anything like that and uh that's what really got me into the outdoors uh not necessarily primarily the hunting aspect right off the bat but just the general outdoors um but uh you know i did the bow hunting for a while and i mean i've bow hunted every year since but uh i got big into the shotgun and the leader of that group was the guy that took me coon hunting he i can even explain <laughs> he was just uh i called him a deer guru and the the way he knew the way that deer moved how they acted it was just it was it was crazy and he didn't even boat hunt he was just a gun hunter but he just knew so much about the animal that he <laughs> i i owe him the, the funny thing is that for a year he passed away, um, I was going to kind of wait to get into the story, but uh, there was a buck back home that uh, me and seven different guys, we, uh, we tried to kill that deer for four years. And uh, that deer was our deer that we called ghost. And I know a lot of people have, you know, the buck that they call ghost, but this deer, uh, not only was he a deer of a lifetime, um, he, he was a true ghost because, you know, I got really good at running trail cameras and shed hunting and the guys I hunted with were the same way. Um, but this deer, you know, a lot of people don't believe me when I talk about it, but I've got, you know, six other guys that have encountered this deer. Um, and <laughs> but this deer was actually a nine by nine, a clean nine by nine. And uh, I know for a fact he would go over 200 inches uh, for like, he was just an absolute giant um and uh we'd all bow hunted him we'd all seen him in person but none of us could get trail cam pictures out of him none of us could find his sheds uh our taxidermist from that area found out about him and he was on him and it was the same thing he couldn't get pictures of him find his sheds nothing um and then the first opportunity that that deer could have been harvested was shotgun season in uh two Oh geez, what was that? Twenty? I can't remember the year. I'm I'm terrible with years, but um, we're pushing, and in my timber, it's it's a big hillside, so you can hear everybody yelling, and we yell up, down, or forward to let you know where the deer are going. And I heard somebody yell "ghost," and my stomach just dropped, and you know, I went I went full alert. And um, there's a part in our timber when we get to a fence line, it's like clockwork every year. When us pushers get to that fence, the deer are getting to the sitters and then the shooting just starts going crazy. And we start hearing shots and, you know, I'm waiting and we get up there and I think there were 11 deer that got shot. And I, oh I started, like, I started interrogating people like where's ghost who's seen ghost. And of all people, it was a 15 year old boy that we had brought out. It was his first year hunting, had that deer on the ridge in front of him at 53 yards. And he shot all five times and missed him. <laughs> yep. Oh my God. And, uh, it, yeah, that was, I mean, I was relieved that he was still out there, but I was really bummed because I, I really wanted to see somebody harvest that deer. Cause he would, he I mean, he's truly, I mean, he's probably dead now, but, uh, deer of a lifetime, but, the year that Tony had passed, I mean, there ain't hardly any trees around it, but the deer just, they flocked to it and uh, it was still standing corn. So I went down there and I got set up in the fence line. I think there was an hour and a half till dark and I started calling 
Well, next thing you know, I was in a grunting battle with like five or six different bucks. And I mean, you could hear them at different spots throughout the corn grunting. And I was trying to figure them out. And then I heard one grunt. And that one grunt, I knew right then and there that it was a big deer because it was a real deep tone. And I knew that was the big dog. I didn't know, you know, who it was, but, uh, hunt goes on. I see three or four different bucks. They come out of the corn to the fence, you know, and trying to check it out. They didn't see me or any other bucks. So they went back in and, uh, it's in a really big valley right there. So it gets darker sooner and, uh, gets to the point where it's about time to wrap up. And I'm, I'm down on my knees packing my bag and I hear that grunt and he's right behind me. And I had permission on that and the field was combined. And I turn around and there stood ghost at, I'm going to say roughly 35 yards. Uh, we're, we're talking a nine by nine, 200 plus inch deer at 35 yards. And immediately before I can even start thinking, I'm shaking worse than I, if I were to just gotten a car accident and, um, I get my bow, I settle myself down and I draw on him. I couldn't see my i couldn't see through my peep it was just dark enough in that valley that i i just couldn't do it and i i did everything i could to try to see and i even because i still had i think four or five minutes of shooting light left and it got to the point where i even aimed at the sky to center my pin in my peep and brought it back down on him and i'd lose it i couldn't see it anymore and i had to argue with myself because i i feel very comfortable shooting instinctively uh, but I feel way more comfortable if it was like 15, 20 yards, but that 30 to 35 yard mark, I, those options ran through my head. Do I shoot and risk wounding him and never finding him again? Do I, you know, risk shooting and missing him and never finding him? And I just opted out and just said, I'd feel better just not taking a shot and hopefully see him again. And that's what I did. And that was actually one of the first times I teared up uh during hunting because of hunting but uh unfortunately i never did see that deer again oh my god that, yeah it's that's so that's so sad especially since really you have legal I mean, light he, i mean because i mean what's the uh world record typical right now like two two thirteen two fourteen or is it a little bit higher something like that that's how that's really yeah, close I, I, I think it's right in there i will from what I remember in my head and the guys that have seen that deer and when we talk about him, we're all pretty confident that he'd be pushing right around in there. I mean, I know I've even to this day, I've never seen a deer like that besides in, you know, videos on a high fence. Oh my goodness. Did you ever have any trail cam pics of the buck or was this? Nope. Um, no, nope. I had, uh, I had eight trail cameras. Uh, the other guy that hunted out there with me, he had five trail cameras, the taxidermist. I know he was running at least a dozen cameras. I, the six of us, between the six of us, I, I bet there was over 30 trail cameras and none of us could get him. Yeah, the, the name ghost, uh, makes a lot of sense when you, when you describe it that yeah. way. Yeah. And you know, I, I never wanted to name a buck that cause you know, you talk to everybody and every hunter has that buck that they call ghost, you know? And I'm like, I don't want to name him ghost, but after four years of no pictures, no sheds, you know, nothing like that, he was a ghost. And out of four years, I've encountered him three times, one time close enough to shoot. Uh, the other two times were quite a distance away, but other than that, the other guys, uh, they encountered him, I think, once or twice a piece, but not close enough to kill him. 
Oh my gosh. So do you remember a few years ago when the Gunner Womack killed the buck in Oklahoma that was a mainframe eight by eight? The, the eight by eight. When yeah. I seen pictures of that, that was immediate flashbacks of that deer that we were chasing. Okay. But you said yours was a nine by nine. He was a nine by nine. And I know for a fact, I mean, I didn't have my hands on the deer we were chasing, but I know from what we had seen and looking at the pictures that the one we were chasing was at least I'm going to guess four inches wider than the one he shot. And, uh, I can't really give you a good answer on like height, but I mean, they were, they were similar, very similar. Yeah. That's uh, when you describe that, that's exactly what I think of. Cause Gunner shot that book buck and it, it grossed over 200 and yeah. ended end up netting. There was a lot of deductions, but it netted 188 and it was big enough to be the, the Oklahoma typically typical archery record. Um, and I, but it was over, it was a gross over 200 and that's the deer, crazy. the deer that you're describing, that's, uh, that definitely sounds like 200 if it looked anything like that. Oh yeah. And you know, my, my taxidermist, when people say, Oh, I don't believe you. There's no deer around like that. Go talk to my taxidermist. He's got two bucks that are all time Boone and Crockett. I mean, he, he's a big buck hunter and, uh, he's seen that deer. He's hunted that deer. And you know, when he says something, about that deer i said no he's real then people actually believe him because you know he has that reputation as a taxidermist and a big buck hunter oh i mean a taxidermist in iowa they should they should know what a big buck looks like they probably got hundreds <laughs> right. of them sitting in the garage right yeah no that's dude that's awesome uh yeah it, it was a once in a lifetime thing to even be able to lay eyes on a buck like that you know let alone to be able to hunt him man there's part of me that that is, is like waiting for that moment, you know, that once in a lifetime deer, but I already get mm. so worked up uh, about deer. I don't know if I could stay in a relationship if I was, if I was like <laughs> chasing a deer like that, that's all I would think about. And um, you know, that the buck directly behind me, the 182, he is the perfect example of that, of what you're talking about right now. Um, I hate really even talking. That deer right there caused a little bit of issues in my relationship. Um, but you know, when I, I gave her the phone call and said, he's down, I could just, <laughs> I could hear the relief in her voice. I mean, she said, good job, but I know in her head, she's saying, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I want to get into, I want to get into the story of that buck, um, here in a little bit, but I want to give the listeners something tangible that they can, they can take away. And since you're a big public land guy, you've been hunting public land for, it sounds like a long time now. What are your what are your primary methods for public land scouting, and what would you recommend for somebody that's wanting to to go public land? Are you a, a boots on the ground and trail cam kind of guy? Are you a cell cam minimum intrusion stay out kind of guy? What are you? I am a boots on the ground kind of guy. Um, I, I'm thinking about maybe running a couple cell cams this year just to try them out um, for one particular reason, but we'll we'll get into that here in a, in a little bit. Uh, but I am a, a definitely boots on the ground kind of guy. Uh, before I had my children and was in a serious relationship, what I would do is work my full-time job all through the week. But Thursday night, I would pack all my hunting gear. And this was an every week thing, pack all my hunting gear. And then Friday after work, I'd jump in the truck and I'd literally just pull up a map and start looking and I'd just start driving. And once I found a public that I, I liked, I'd camp out in my truck and hunt that public all weekend long. Um, but then while I did that, I was also scouting public ground for the long run, like publics that I want to continuously come back to. And 
I mean, there's <laughs> there's a lot of pu good publics out there. Don't get me wrong, uh, but it's kind of hard, and it takes a lot of work to find that public that you can keep coming back to to find. Um, I'm not gonna say booners, but you know, good respectable deer. I, I know it's kind of a touchy subject because a good respectable deer nowadays is a very big difference, you know, in a lot of people's eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, uh, definitely boots on the ground. Uh, and what I do is when I find a public that I want to continuously hunt like year after year, um, I, I kind of start small. I, I call them burner trail cameras just because we know nowadays a lot of people have sticky fingers. Yeah. Um, so I'll buy cheaper cameras and what I do is when I'll go in there early season, probably a month before season, actually some them, I'll, I'll find a spot, a good spot with good sign and I'll hang one there and then I'll walk probably 300 yards and then I'll hang another one on that same trail. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons I do that because during, you know, deer like to take the easy travel routes and especially during the summer cause it's ridiculously hot. Um, and I kind of base it off of that. And when I'm doing early season, I'm not looking for bucks. I'm, I'm looking for does 100%. But not only am I looking for does, I'm also scouting. <laughs> I don't know how to say this without it sounding creepy. I'm also scouting hunters. Yeah. You know, because I want to see what part of the publics that people are primarily going into, what they're focused on, and try to figure out why they're going that way. Um, and once I find a good amount of deer movement, I'll start spreading cameras a little bit farther apart to try to figure out which way they're going. And then once I figure that out, I do the same thing. I'll take that camera, leave it there and I'll go 200 yards down the trail, put another one. I'm pretty much running surveillance. And I mean, thank God for technology now because like Onyx maps, um, I mark everything. Like you got on my Onyx right now, I'm zoomed in on the state of Iowa. It probably confuse you. It just looks like a bunch of spider webs and chicken pox. Uh -huh. Um, but I'm marking all the areas I have my cameras and, you know, I'm trying to find the bedding areas, uh, their water transitions, food transitions, bed transitions, um, and just kind of going from there. And a lot of that stems off of, what other hunters are doing as well. Cause you know, it sounds bad to say, but every hunter does it. We kind of piggyback off of each other. You know, you get, you start talking to a guy out in the parking lot and he goes, Oh yeah, I was over here. And I seen this buck, this buck, this buck. Mm -hmm. Now that area just became a whole lot more interesting to you. And then, you know, you say some stuff. Well, he might think your area is interesting. So you kind of swap, you know, and you start, going off of his stuff it it's that's one reason i love public ground i've met really crappy hunters like and i'm not meaning like bad hunters i'm talking like uh very arrogant uh mean uh that type of thing but then i've met some of the coolest people i've ever met in my life you know on public ground we'll sit there and we'll start talking and it's like oh man hey we gotta get in the stand before it gets too dark <laughs> mm -hmm. um i just public land is a whole nother ball game um yeah, it's there's so many different ways to try to think it. I'm kind of an unorthodox hunter. I don't do what everybody else does. I'm a very um, what's the word for it? I I like to really get in there. Uh, I'm a very aggressive public land hunter. Um, and you know, once it gets to within that week where we can hang up tree stands, it depends on the public and the size, but there was a public oh geez five ten years ago 
it was like a 50 acre public and i think there was like two guys that hunted it but i knew there were good deer there and in that 50 acres believe it or not i had 18 tree stands in there oh my and, god <laughs> yeah I, I had 18 tree stands in there and i have a notebook and you know i'd mark them tree stand one two or you know a landmarker to figure out which stand was what uh but i would write what winds were good for each particular stand and stuff like that so i could hunt anywhere in that public and it didn't matter what weather what the weather was doing because i had so many in there i could move around but when now that i'm older i i usually run you know five to ten pub or you know hang-ons or uh, ladder stands but i always keep one set of climbing sticks and one hang-on in my truck because i love to be mobile i am a mobile hunter um and if you're a big public ground hunter that is not necessarily a bad thing to put in your back pocket just because you don't know where people are you don't know how they're gonna call or what they're doing for scent you know and you guys could be 200 yards away from each other 300 yards away from each other but if the wind swirls just right even if he's that far his scent could come clear down to you and any deer that's remotely in between you two that could potentially be working your way. He's gone now because he smells that other guy from two ridges over or a ridge over, you know, it's uh, being mobile is a very important thing in my eyes anyways. But I mean, everybody kind of has their own little thing, you know? Um, but I will say this, depending on the public, a lot of people always say you need to go deep in there. You need to go as deep as you can. That's where the big bucks are. You're wrong. I mean, and not, not a hundred percent wrong. You know, I mean, there are big bucks deep in the woods. Um, but like I said, it's also depending on the public and the terrain, but some of the biggest public land deer I've ever seen or shot like him were within 150, 200 yards off of the edge of the field or off the tree line. That one, I literally shot him, oh, geez, 60 yards from the main access to come in there, which gets hammered by humans walking in and out of there. And, and you know, it's it's those areas that get overlooked is where guys like that lay down. And they can watch you. You, it, you just have to get in there right. You have to time the wind right. You're, but the big thing is thermals. Um, ah, geez. Thermals are... <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. Thermals are a trick, man. It took me a long time to get used to like figuring them out, but uh, I still haven't really all that figured out yet. But um, depending on the terrain, you know, like hills or flat. I mean, flats can be a little bit hotter, hot, yeah, harder, obviously. Um, but hills, you can manipulate your thermals. And the big thing I learned is if you're going into a public for a long-term type thing, don't be very aggressive your very first time in there. Baby steps. Take it slow. Observe everything you can. And just slowly kind of expand throughout there. And if you don't get the whole public figured out in one year, that's okay. You know, then you come in shed season. And you, you look at their trails, where they're working during the winter and stuff like that. And then the spring. Yeah. And... I know not everybody does it. I do it. I take a notebook with me and I, I kind of document all sorts of things on what they do this time of year, this time of year, this time of year. And then the next year comes. So I'm like, well, they did. I look through my pages. So they did this 
this year? Why are they doing this this year? You know, um, you just baby steps. Don't get run and gun. You get familiar with the property, figure out the deer, how they move. Um, that's like this public that I, that I hunt now. Uh, this would be my third year hunting it. And the first year, that's what I did was baby steps and just trying to figure out what deer are here. How are they moving? Why are they moving in these, these ways? Then shed season come, you know, I, I go out there, I'm looking at their winter patterns, their bedding areas. And then the next season I, uh, shot my buck, uh, November 4th and a lot of deer I had on trail camera were the same deer from the year before. And they were doing almost the exact same thing, except for maybe a handful of them. And, you know, I did more notes and stuff like this. And then 2021 season, the same deer show up again and they're doing the same thing. You know, if you just take your time uh, and really pay attention to what's going on and, you know, not just rubs and scrapes, really check them beds out where their trails are. You know, it's summertime. If you find a trail, take it nice and easy walk real slow, figure out where it's going and then sit there and figure out, okay, why are they coming here? Like I got buddies that they refuse to go into the woods with me early season because when I'm walking around scouting, I can find one spot of that trail and I'll stand in that one spot on that trail for a half an hour and try to figure out and map everything in my head and figure out why are they moving and doing the things that they're doing in this particular area. And when you do those little things and you hunt the same place year after year, it's the puzzle starts fitting together and it makes it a little easier each year to get on those deer. Yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. I like, um, I like what you said about, um, hunting, you know, if you're hunting the same place, you want to take it easy. What excites mm -hmm. me even more about hunting the same place year after year and gathering those data points is hunting places like out of state. You can be extremely, aggressive right like we're, we're right. putting in for kansas this year and if we oh, well, I hope I get it yeah i do i hope so that, that's been a dream of mine to go to i want to go to kansas and southern ohio yeah. dream deer hunt for me yeah well we're putting in for kansas and we've talked about it because we have that kind of uh we do a lot of scouting um right we like to scout hard hunt easy granted you don't hunt easy but you know when you've been scouting all summer putting in 12 mile days sitting in a tree doesn't seem too bad when we're on those out-of-state hunts like gosh, we're going to, we're trying to go ultra aggressive on there. You know, you blow a deer, you mess it up. That's all right. But I I'll, also, I liked what you said about the trail cameras and finding those roads during the summer, because mm -hmm. we have used that with great success, understanding that there's going to be people walking down the road. So we're also going to be able to use our cameras, not only to find those summer velvet bucks that are way more chill that are walking on the roads. Mm -hmm. We're not worried about human pressure, but we can also right. use those as a gauge to find people and finding people's just as big of a battle as, as finding the deer. Cause if you oh, find absolutely. the people, you might get the deer and you'll start to realize, Oh, why aren't the deer coming back? Well, I can tell you why. Cause yep. we got more and people on trail cam than ever this year. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's uh, the second year I hunted there. There was an area that I had been running cameras and, you know, I had two years in a row. I'd gotten deer in that same area and then they just, stopped showing up in that area you know i might get a couple of those that come through and then an occasional buck would come through at midnight two o'clock in the morning which say the last two years they never did that i'm like why are they doing this mm -hmm. and i found out that a new hunter had found this public and he was setting up a stand in the same three trees that were within a hundred yards of that trail camera 
And it made that big of a difference that the deer completely shifted. And I had to reevaluate what I was going to do because that hundred yards was enough to completely blow them out of that spot and change the whole pattern. It's, it's crazy how just the little things can change so much. Oh no, a hundred percent. I mean, we've had that, we've had that happen too, where we're hunting a spot and we're accessing it with the right wind and we're being super careful about the way we're going in there during season and it's working out really well. And then you have someone come and access it from the completely opposite side, the wrong way, <laughs> with the wrong wind. And you're like, well, we might as well pack everything up and leave like all this, yeah. all this, uh, you know, tippy toeing in here that we've been doing, it's yeah. gone. And, and I, I feel maybe every deer is different. Every deer has a different personality, but there's some yeah. bucks that, that they, they take one time of that and they're like, I don't do that again. I don't make that mistake twice. And they move. Yeah. Yep. A hundred percent. And you know, that's, that's why I'm in the counties that we can get doe tags. Um, that's why I I'll have a handful of doe tags in my back pocket because there's uh, one public. Oh, I hope I see this deer again. I, I doubt I will, but I got him on camera. He, we're all pretty confident. He was three and a half. But as a three and a half year old, he was probably pushing low to mid seventies. Like he just an absolute unit. And um, <laughs> squirrel season started, blew him out, right? But he ended up coming back into the area, and I was really gonna, I was gonna push hard because that particular public is like six thousand acres, and there are tons of hunters, you know. And I'm like, okay, if I got to get, if I'm going to have a chance at this deer, I have to be aggressive. And I started, I wouldn't go in there with ladder stands. I went in with climbers, hang ons, you know, that type of stuff. But I found this one spot that was really close to where I thought he was bedding. <laughs> and the first time in there, the wind manages to swirl and this big nanny doe pins me like that. And, you know, she's sitting there blowing and I'm like, oh no. And I couldn't shoot her from where she was. So I had to leave, leave her be. <laughs> and every time I came out there, and this is, this is no joke. Them, them nanny does. I tell you, I, there's one thing I hate in this world while I'm bow hunting besides a squirrel. It's a big nanny doe that knows where you are. Right. And that, that doe was one. Every time I sat there, she'd come into this general area. And once we, she got within eyesight, she would stop and she would look directly to the tree. I was in, she knew I was there. It got to the point where I started having to bounce little, you know, maybe two trees away to try and throw her off. But she, she'd pick me out every time. And finally I got to the point, I'm like, I'm going to completely 180 on her and end up on this side. If she comes in, I'm going to arrow her. And it was putting me killing that buck at risk. But if that doe was going to be there and I was going to continue to hunt that area, I would have never had a chance at him with her there. So I had to mess up my hunt for him to take care of her to get back to hunting to him, which I never did end up seeing. <laughs> <laughs> did you end up killing her? Oh yeah. Yeah. I got her. Uh, cause <laughs> she came in on the same path as always. Uh, it was always an East wind when it was an East wind. She came in that same spot every time because an East wind was the best wind for that spot. And she come in the same trail. Well, when I 180 on her, I was on the North side of her and she thought I was on the South side. Well, when she popped out, she was at 13 yards from me looking to the South when I was at the North and I'm just sitting there watching and like in my head, like, aha, I got you this time, <laughs> you know, and then the rest is history. Hey, you know, the saying does that blow got to go. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's the one thing I hate about the public that I, I spent a lot of my time for the, the big boxes. There's no go tags there. Mm. So I have to be really careful on when I, I honestly, I don't hunt it much at all early season because I don't want to risk, uh, the bucks picking up my scent or a doe pinning me and, you know, blowing that area out. So I pretty much leave that until pre-rut or whatever kicks in because, uh, that that's that's a doe property i just found that place a couple years ago and uh i ran i think i had six trail cameras in there just, you know just start off like i said you know just a little bit a little bit of time and uh on all those cameras yeah i leave them three three weeks a month i go out and check them and hundreds of pictures of does and there i wouldn't get any bucks on camera and at first it's like crap it's a it's a bust public and then it just clicked in my head like no this this is this is a rut property like if there's this many does and there's no bucks when the rut comes, I it's going to turn around. And sure enough, when pre-rut came in that place, just I've never seen or encountered that many big deer in one public. It, it to this day, it still blows my mind. I've never hunted a public like it. And the other thing that really blows my mind is the genetics. Um, and I'll, I'll throw this out there for those that are big public land hunters. Um, when you're trying to pick a good public, don't primarily focus on just the public itself. Look at the maps and look what borders that public or what, what's around that public, you know, cause this one I found it's, it's a good chunk, you know, it's not nothing crazy, but what really got me was what surrounded it. And they're just big landowners. And the first thing you do, you go door knocking. You know, you try to, you try to get the scoop of what's going on, you know, try to get permission. And when you try to get permission, that's when you really get to know what the farmers or the landowners are, what the landowners are really about. If they're big hunters or what, well, around this area where I'm hunting, all of the surrounding landowners, which are big tracts of land, are all big buck hunters. They manage, I mean, food plots after food plots and tower blinds, and they manage their deer and all this. Well, that explains why I see what I see on this public is because that public holds so many does. And when pre-rut comes, all them big boys from them privates come onto the public to breed them does. And guess who's waiting? <laughs> you are. This guy. Yeah, you're damn right. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, so I think we've alluded to it enough. To talk me through this, this 180 plus inch buck that you killed on public. Was this the last year? Yes, this was uh, 2021. Tell me about that hunt. So, oh, that big guy right there. Uh, we called him Big Ben. Um, I found him in 2020. Um, so, there's 300 acres that butts up to this public. And it's majority ag field. There's, there's very little timber there. And the one downfall about this private is the, the landowner, he's super nice guy. But he's 84, starting to get dementia, and his son, just he don't really care who's out there. So anybody that stops and asks, the landowner's like, yeah, go hunt. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty much just one big public. You know, there's no private anymore. But um, there's this <laughs> little draw that comes out into this ag field, probably a couple hundred yards. And it's got a bunch of willows in it. And just something in my gut said, throw a camera in there. You know, it's not going to hurt nothing. Just throw a camera in there. So I throw a camera in there and I leave it there for 
uh, I think just about a month. And uh, I check it and I, I was just, I was mind blown. There were so many bucks using, you know, cutting through that little finger. And, um, you know, there were a lot of small ones, but there were some good ones. And I'm just going through the videos on my, you know, little card reader with the, you know, the little four inch screen on it, just kind of like looking and come across him. And in 2020, he was just a, a mainframe, really clean 10. And he probably was, I'd say low seventies, uh, just a unit, you know, for a public land deer, it, he was a beautiful deer. And, uh, when I had my little brother with me and I told him, I was like, this is the one he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, that's the deer I'm going to hunt. He goes, no, you're not. I'm like, yeah, I am. So, you know, that day we go in and I start hanging stands and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And I, I pulled my trail cameras from every other public that I had cameras and I threw them all in this one area. And, uh, I never got pictures of him anywhere. I got, uh, the very first videos of him that one time on, uh, November 6th, 7th and 9th. And that little finger, other than that, gone. He's ghost. No, and I had 12 or 13 other cameras out there just littered all over the place and nothing. Never seen him on hoof or anything. And so I was like, okay, now I have to go to school. Like, so I started watching podcasts, watching seminars, reading magazines, getting on forums, um, literally learning and trying to figure out anything that I didn't know, which when it comes to hunting, there's no limit of learning you can do. Like you can just keep learning and learning and learning and learning and never reach the top. And, um, coming into 2021, I had bought more cameras and I'm, I have them thrown out all over the place. I think I had 18 cameras in this place and, um, I had, uh, no pictures of him and I got to look in and there was one spot on this public. I had never thrown a camera and I would have never thought, you know, to put a camera in there. So I was like, ah, I'll throw one of my, you know, burner or cheaper cameras over there. I throw it there and two weeks go by. And next thing you know, I've got three of my hit listers on there. And then the first picture that comes in was super blurry. Like he was moving his head and you know, them cheaper cameras, you know, they don't clarify the picture real good. But I was like, that's a giant next picture. It was him. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And he had grown the kickers off of the base and the kickers off of his G2s and G3s. I'm like, this thing like, blew up. That's, you know, that's going to be pushing 190. And um, he disappeared again. And I'm like, what in the hell? So I started reevaluating. I'm like, okay, what am I doing wrong? And then I picked him up on the camera in that draw where I originally found him the year before. And then I picked him up on the camera way farther in and he was just all over the place and then disappeared again. Well, one day, I think this was, uh, October 27th. I put a spot and stock on, a 155, 160, just to get a video of him. And, uh, because I told my brother, I'm not shooting any deer, but him, like I'll let everything pass. And, uh, I went to sneak up on this deer well, I busted him and I get back to the truck. And as I'm walking back to the truck, I see a big buck out in the field. And I didn't take a good look at him at first. And I, look, I told my buddy, I was like, Hey, look, check out that big buck. And then he turned his head and I seen the width and my, and my jaw just dropped. It's the first time I ever seen him on hoof. And he's, you know, 400 yards out there. And I'm like, son of a crap. <laughs> and I knew 
where them does had come out into that field where they crossed out of the public into that field and he would follow them. So I was like, I have a game plan. I called into work the next day because I was like, <laughs> I'm going to kill this deer tomorrow. And uh, I get in there and that same group of does come through almost the same time like clockwork, but he wasn't there. I'm like, what? I don't get it. And I just sat in my, my stand and I'm looking at all the ridges and I just, you know, glassing with my binos. I picked him up. He was on the next ridge over. He was working the opposite ridge, but I didn't put into consideration that the wind had changed a hundred, you know, way different. So he's working that ridge. I put a spot and stock on him. And, uh, if I would have had 45 more minutes, I could have, I could have arrowed him. When I spotted him, he was at close to 600 yards. And when I ran out of light, I was within 85. Mm -hmm. Like I, I got close. And, um, then, uh, and, you know, I never didn't see him again, no pictures of him. And then next thing you know, it was literally all within the next couple of nights out of 18 trail cameras, I was picking them up on 13 of those trail cameras. And these cameras are not super close to each other. And I mean, this thing, he's, he's working that public hard. And, um, there, <laughs> there's a group of guys out there. They, they knew about him and they were, they were hunting pretty hard. And, uh, I was like, I got, I got to make a move. And it was the morning of November 6th. Well, rewind November 5th. I talked to my, my woman. I was like, Dave, do you care if I go hunting? Because November 6th is our oldest daughter's birthday. And luckily her birthday party was in the afternoon. She goes, well, you talk to your daughter. And I asked her, I was like, can dad go hunt in the morning and get back in time for your birthday party? She goes, yeah, but you got to kill the big one. I was like, all right, baby. So November 6th, I get out there and there's like five trucks already out there. And I'm like wigged out in my head. Like, oh my God, I had a game plan in my head. I, you know, I didn't know what to do. And I remember two nights prior, the last trail cam picture I had of him. And I know not far away, there's a, it's a pretty good sized doe bedding area. And it just so happened that the wind would be in my favor to sit on this ridge because you know bucks they work the downside of doe bedding they you know set checking them and if any buck set checked that bedding area it was going to be within 75 yards and my thermals and my wind were going to be perfect and uh so i get in there i have my lone wolf sticks and my little hang on and i get up in the stand and Daylight or shooting light just started and I'm aggravated because I'm not in the spot I want to be in and I've been hunting for the last eight days and I haven't seen him and uh, I was like, oh, screw it. So I, I just threw out a couple of rip, rip, rip. and I threw out a, a bleat and then I brought out one long grunt and then I grabbed my rattling antlers and I'm not kidding. I've never rattled this hard in my life. If I would have missed and hit my knuckles, I probably would have busted my finger off and uh, I got done rattling. I hung my antlers up and I just went rip, rip. And I, I hung my, my grown up and uh, I think it was two minutes. I, I looked to my right and I heard a stick to my left and I looked to my left and he's all neck sideways, chest out within 50 yards already. He'd come out of that doe bedding area and he, he heard me and knew I was close to that bedding. So he come in all aggressive and uh, I, he come in so fast. I didn't have time to turn my GoPro on or anything like that and my <laughs> the first thing i could think of was get my rangefinder because of what had happened two days prior two days prior 
I was in a tree, probably 10 to 12 trees away, right at, right before shoot light was up, this, this buck comes into the timber and I'm looking at him. And at first I thought it was big Ben and, uh, I got to look, I'm like, no, that's not big Ben. And then I seen it and this is the only deer that I was going to shoot besides him. And for one reason, cause he started coming in, I'm like, that deer don't look familiar. And then I seen the glisten pulled up my glass and he had about an eight inch drop time. And it's been a dream of mine to kill a big drop time. And, uh, he's cut, he, he's probably mid one seventies. He's just a big deer and he's coming right to me. And I, I hate when they do that. Cause you know, you're not going to take a, you're 20 feet up in the tree and take a chest shot and like, no, thank you. And he keeps working to me and he gets behind a tree and I draw it about 15 yards and he gets clear within five yards. I'm not kidding. Like I could have just went and spit on his face and out of nowhere, he just stops and he looks right up at me. And then he can, it's almost like I can see his eyes get big and glisten like shit. He caught me and he wheezed at me and turned around and jumped, but he stopped about 30 ish yards away broadside. And I range everything before I sit down and I'm already at full draw. I turn on him. I put my 30 on him and I shot and I watched my Luminox just go right over his back. And I'm like, Oh no, you know? And, uh, I ranged where he was and he was like 27 or 28. So between that couple yard difference and his duck, I just barely missed him. And, you know, everybody was saying, Oh, it's okay, man. Things happen for a reason. And I'm sitting here like, man, do you know how much I shoot my bow? Like, I don't miss. This doesn't happen to me. <laughs> I was just, I was so upset. And then, you know, fast forward to the November 6th, I grunted and all that. And here he comes and he's kind of coming in quarter two and I shoot raised mechanicals. And I, a couple of years ago, I took a chest shot on a deer and never found him. And I found him a month later and shot him behind the shoulder. Still never found him. I don't know how. But uh, ever since then, I refuse to take a chest shot or a quarter two shot, especially with a mechanical. And he was slightly quarter two when he was coming in, and I ranged, and he's at like 30 yards. And then he stopped to just graze. And then it was literally like God was like, let me help you out, buddy. And he took one big step to his left, and it was a, a hard quarter to way shot with his shoulder, shoulder forward. And right when that happened, it was just like – deer in headlights i'm like that's the perfect shot and uh i let my arrow fly and you know he took off and i wasn't even 100 percent sure it was him just because my my rule of thumb for myself because i don't trust myself is when a deer comes in i'll take a good enough look to figure out if he's mature and if he's a shooter and once i figure out he's mature and he's a shooter i don't look at them antlers because if i keep looking at them antlers i'm done I'll, I'll shoot a freaking tree at his feet trying to hit him, you know? Um, but I seen him and I seen that one side in the whip. And I was like, hey, that's got him. And I took my eyes off of him and, uh, yeah, I shot him at 30 yards and I didn't know if it was him. I'm like, Oh my God, was the shot good. And I'm sending my tactic cam video. The friends are like, your shot looks really far back. I'm like, yeah, but he was, he was quartered away. And, um, I'm trying to call my brother and my dad, cause you know, my family has been super supportive of me trying to hunt that deer. Cause they knew how much he meant to me. And, uh, the, the big thing was because, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there saying from, like, from professionals saying, you know, to target one specific mature deer on public and to actually get him 
it's it's not impossible, but it's really hard. And when I made contact with that arrow, it just all those emotions of two years of trying to get him just hit me at one time. And um, you know, my family wouldn't answer. I'm like, oh my god, I don't want to go look for him yet. You know, I waited two and a half hours for my family to show up, <laughs> and I walk them. We're walking in on the access trail. And I'm showing him all these rubs and all this other stuff. And we cut off the access trail going to see where I shot him. And it's immediately instant blood spray. And I'm like, okay, he, he's dead, you know, and start following the blood. Now, if when we were walking on that access trail, walking in, if we would have just looked up, we wouldn't even have to track him because where I shot him, he made it 60 yards and he fell over dead on the access trail. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and, you know, I, I wasn't even the one to find him. I had my stepmom with me. And, well, I'm sorry, Mom, if you watch this, you're a little over dramatic sometimes. But we're walking, and I'm, I'm paying attention to the blood. And I just hear her from behind me go, <gasps> right there, I knew she found him. And I turn around, and I look at her, and she looks at me. And I look, and all I could see was that one side sticking up out of the grass. And uh, I seen that one little kicker sticking out. And that's when I knew I got him. And uh, that deer has... Uh, he humbled me in a lot of ways. You know, I've, I've killed a lot of good deer, but this is the first year that I've actually, you know, I did all the homework. I did all the scouting. I really beat myself up for him to try to figure him out. And, uh, he made me work for it. I'll give him that. <laughs> but this, this time I came out on top. It doesn't always work out that way when it's your biggest buck ever. It sure feels good when it works out that way though. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and now I'm sitting here like, okay, is, is he gonna, is he gonna get in my head? You know, cause yeah, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a cocky person by any means. I don't, I don't brag, you know, it, I had a lot of buddies this past year that shot deer and they'd snap, snap me like, Hey, I got a buck. And they send me pictures and like, well, it's not as big as yours. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. You, you could have shot a little four point. And if you were smiling and shaking when you shot him, that is all that matters, man. Like just you putting in the time to go out and try and you were successful. That's what I care about. I do crap less about the size of the deer. You know, if you get a big one, heck yeah. But if you're happy when you killed it, that's what counts. And a lot of people in today's age don't do that. It's, it sucks, but. I don't know. It's but this year I'm I'm afraid he's gonna get into my head because I <laughs> he gave me such a run for my money that uh, I don't want to jinx myself here. But there's a buck I'm after this year on that same public that I'm confident will go 200 if not over 200. Um, just he's <laughs> he's an absolute mega giant. Now the first year I found him, he was a uh, just a normal 10 pointer about a 140 class. And I had a lot of pictures of him on several different cameras. And then come into last year, I got a picture of this deer. I'm like, who are you? And I started looking at detail. I'm like, no way that 10 pointer blew up. He put on almost 40 inches in one year. So last year he was probably about a 180. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Jesse from TikTok. Yeah. So I, I'm a part of a team with him and I, I talk to him about this deer and you know, he, you've seen his TikToks. The man shoots big deer. He finds a lot of big sheds, you know, uh, even he's pretty confident. He told me he's leaning more towards that deer's more towards 190 than he's 180. And, uh, 
the last picture I have of him was late November and he had snapped off three quarters of his whole left side. He, he only had this part of the beam and his G2. And I've gotten to know a lot of hunters out there and, you know, they, they like to go for them big boys. So with him breaking that side off, I'm pretty confident nobody was going to shoot him because those guys don't seem to be like that. So with the mild winter that we had and hopefully, well, we didn't really have much of a spring. It jumped straight from the forties and fifties, clear up into the eighties out of nowhere. Um, hopefully, you know, the disease stays away and we have a, a good summer. If that's the case, you know, the deer get the nutrients they need. They won't have to scavenge for it and everything should make big jumps. And if that's the case and he does survive, he's, I feel like he's just going to be an absolute unit. That sounds like the ones you want to be chasing on, especially on public. What's yeah, the, it, is it four years to draw for a non-resident there? That's what about what it takes. I, I know there's some I, point I've creep heard, too. I've heard anywhere from four to five years. I've, I've seen a lot more people say five years, but I'm not a hundred percent. I know it's either four or five. Yeah, man. I should have been putting in for that just a, a while back. <laughs> uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, you get an Iowa tag, you come down here and I'll do my best to get you on a big deer. Now, I'll see you in half a decade. We can, we can just plan <laughs> on it. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. Uh, uh, the only downfall about that big one is uh, there's some guys out there. They know about him. They actually encountered him twice. Uh, I don't know how to say this without being mean. Uh, I mean, I, I feel sorry for him. But then again, at the same time, I'm super grateful. But uh, he had a buck come in, and it was bigger. or It was smaller than what he thought it was. But he was so fixated on this deer, and he has this cameraman with him. And, you know, he shoots this deer. And when he shoots it, they see something out of the corner of his eye. Well, that big 180 that I'm talking oh, about no. that I'm going to be chasing this year was within 20 yards following that deer that he shot. If he would have waited 20 seconds, he probably could have shot him. But he didn't see him. He shot that buck. He, he got away and survived. So I feel bad for the hunter. Like, I really do because I, I know how it feels. Everybody misses. It's the worst feeling in the world. But it, you know, it gave all of us an opportunity at possibly a once in a lifetime deer. Yeah. You never know how these stories are going to play out either. So that's kind right. of the, kind of the fun part about it. And it, luckily you're in that, that special part of the, the country where you can have multiple once in a lifetime <laughs> deer in right. a lifetime. That's really yes. awesome. And, yeah. It, it's Iowa's something else. You know, like I said, I've never hunted in any other state. Uh, this year, I'm actually planning on trying to. I'm thinking about maybe trying to get up into Wisconsin and possibly even Missouri. Um, but it's just one of them things that I, I even used to be a really big fisherman. Uh, but now I don't do it as much because I, I just get so fixated on these bucks that I spend so much time scouting them. Uh, I drown out everything else, you know. And so... I, I want to go to these two states and hunt this year, um, but I guess it just depends on what happens with this deer on this public. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. In high school, uh, me and my buddies were trying to like put our money together to buy a bass boat because we were into the fishing thing. And then as soon as I started hunting public land and bow hunting, I was like, dude, screw a boat. I don't want a boat. I want, I want, <laughs> a, I want a lease or, or more land or a new boat. Right. You know, I wasn't. Right. Yeah. So. And it's, it's awesome what, what they can do to you if you keep it in, but I mean, obviously if you keep it in balance and you're not running your life over it, but that's, uh, right. 
that's awesome. You, it seems like you've had a great lifetime of hunting, hunting deer in Iowa. And it's, um, I'm very thankful. I'll just, I'll just keep it short and simple as I'm thankful. I'm blessed. And I'm, I'm very blessed and thankful for the people that I've met in my life that have helped, um, either influence me or push me to where I am now. And, you know, I'm, Oh, I forget the name of that actor. He he has a, a famous saying that he said quite a few years back. And when I when I heard it, it, it stuck. It just stuck with me. And it's one thing that helped drive me. It's, it's one thing I think a lot of hunters should uh, imply to themselves. It's, you know, the guy was asked who his, uh, who his idol is or who does he want to be like? And he goes, well, you know, I want to be vet, you know, my idol is myself or something like that. And the guy asked why he goes, because five years down the road, when I get to where that person is, I got to exceed that. You all, you're always wanting to be better than yourself. I mean, I know I probably just made the beginning of that sound really confusing, but the moral of the story is you want to come in being better than what you were before, you know? And that's what I've done for the last seven years is okay. Yeah. I found this many big bucks. I killed this size of buck, but next year I'm not going to focus on the size of deer. My goal is how many can I encounter? How many mature bucks can I find? You know, it, I have a lot of smaller targets and I make the targets smaller and smaller every year to, to challenge myself to be better than myself. Because if you don't push yourself, you're just going to walk into a public and say, Oh, I found a good spot, you know, and you see a 130 inch deer, you're like, yeah. uh, you know, it, but then you're, you're kind of cutting yourself short, you know, because now you're going to get familiar with hunting that same spot when there could be another spot three, 400 yards away where there could be a 170, but you're getting too familiar and comfortable in that one little spot. So just be a little bit better, push yourself a little bit more, you know, expand 200 yards this year or 300 yards the next year. You know, it's, there's always room for growing. And the more you grow, the more you would be surprised at what you're going to find. No, that's true. I think you're, are you referring to the Matthew McConaughey when he says, who's your idol? Yes. And he says it's me in 10 years. Yes. So yeah. I, I knew it was something like that. I always forget it when I say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, no, that one's, that's a really good, that's a really good quote. And I, it I, is. And honestly, that's what I've, I, that's what I imply to myself during hunting season. And that's what's pushed me to get to where I am. And, you know, I'm, I'm no pro by any means. I mean, you go out down to the Iowa deer class and be like, Hey, did anybody know Christian Shropshire? You might get like four hands out of, you know, 300, you know, but it's, I do it for myself. I don't do it to, you know, show about walking in a room. Hey, I shot a bigger buck than you. I don't care about that. I do it for myself. It's personal goals. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I mean, me and my buddies, uh, have hunted mostly Oklahoma. I've killed a buck in Texas too, but, um, my buddies killed a 162 inch buck on public in Oklahoma. And, uh, we were, we were talking about this today and, uh, we've shot several good ones on public too, but, he was, I was like, man, I want to go to Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, and I want to, I want to kill a buck in every one of those States. And he was like, Oh, to right. build your, your resume. And I said, no, for myself, I don't, I don't give a frick about a resume. You know, yep, I was like, it, it's cause I want to do it. And I want to get all the knowledge that comes with being able to do that in all those different mm -hmm. environments it has nothing to do you know, with and, building the resume. You know, and, uh, I mean, like you said, you know, you met Jesse and I was, uh, <clears throat> 
I'm pretty grateful for it, but I was actually picked up by a team, Outdoor X Media, and I've met a lot of really cool guys. And, you know, I thought I was at the point in my life where I knew a lot about deer hunting. And I'm one of the younger guys in this group, and I listened to Jesse talk and Greg and a couple of the other guys. I'm like, man, I really don't know as much as I thought I knew. And, you know, it's, and I, you know, I accepted this and people are like, oh, you're just trying to be a pro. No, I'm not trying to be a pro. I mean, if it happens, I mean, who wouldn't want that? You know, it's just, I'm challenging myself. I want to be, you know, the point when I, when I pass, my kids will look at my deer mounts and like, man, my dad was a good hunter, you know, and maybe influence them to push themselves to be like me or not be like me, but, you know, be a, a great hunter, you know, and I don't do this stuff to showboat. It's, it's a personal challenge. It's, you know, like guys that race dirt bikes, you know, you, you get in at a beginner and entry level, damn right. You're going to push yourself to try to get to the pros because it's a personal goal. You know, it's, it's the same thing in deer hunting, but it's just now with, uh, social media, everything gets twisted. You know, it's social media has been really good for hunting in the outdoor world, but it's also been really bad, you know, cause it's good. It, it's gotten more people out. It's way easier for people to learn about things that don't have the time to go out and scout and watch videos like this and be like, Oh, okay, maybe I'll try that next time, you know? Um, but then social media is pretty bad cause you know, it's, wear this shoot this or this deer needs to be this old or score this much or whatever and now it's to the point in age where everybody's feelings are like well if you don't hunt this way then you're a crappy hunter well no not really i'm sorry you feel that way <laughs> yeah yeah well in the in the christian community i we always hear people say comparisons the thief of joy and i i agree with that in the deer hunting community as well yeah i mean if i took my 130 something inch buck and compared it to your 185, well, one, it's not a fair comparison. Two, we might have different right. goals. We might hunt in different environments. You know, mm. it's just, it's it's not fair. I My metric is, is like, are you having fun? It's like, absolutely. I'm like, oh, yeah. keep doing it. I'm still, I've been bow hunting for however many years, and I'm still to that point. If I got doe tags in my pocket, and I have a nice big doe coming in, and I know I'm going to be able to shoot her. Oh, boy, if you had a freaking maraca in my hand, you could hear me a county away. I'm shaking so damn bad. <laughs> No, uh, if you if way. you lose that, then re-examine on what you you should do for a hobby. <laughs> That's uh, my opinion, anyways. Oh, uh, when I quit getting excited, I'll I'll quit doing it. Yeah, exactly. Same here. But the way I'm going, I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> At least you hope not. I mean, I've uh, I grew up watching. My uncle's a little older than me, but we grew up watching a, like Ted Nugent Spirit of the Wild, and he he always was talking oh, yeah. about the mystical flight of the arrow. And I was like, yeah. man, that is the best way to put it. There is something mystical and transient about watching an arrow fly through an animal. And it's like, I just killed something with a freaking stick and a string. This is awesome. And, you know, I wish I had, um, <laughs> I wish I had a really good camera, video camera when I shot that, uh, 163 inch 10. Uh, that's the one that came off of private ground. I had driven by, so kind of going to backtrack a little bit here, you know, people to try to help figure deer out. Um, kind of like what I do is like preseason or early season, you know, when deer are really out in beans and stuff like that. I, you can catch me on gravel roads all the time with a spotting scope or binoculars. 
And I will sit there until dark just to not to look at the size of the deer. I'm watching their movements, where they're coming out of, when they're coming into somewhere, what time they're coming out, what time they're going in, you know, all this information. Well, in the midst of doing that, I seen oh, that one over there. And uh, I was like, that, that's a that's a big boy. Like, I would love to hunt him. And he was on private. Talked to the one landowner. It was an absolute no. Uh, I talked to the next landowner and cause he was outside and immediately I was asked who the F what, who the F let you in my driveway? <laughs> I'm like, okay, just trying to be respectful here, you know? And, uh, I get to the third house and he happened to be the middle landowner and which was not the property I wanted, but I, I was doing, I take that chance and uh super nice guy. And he's just like, nah, I just, I don't think I can let you in there. I'm like, all right, well, I respect your decision. Well, I kept scouting and I kept seeing him repeatedly every day, all the time. I was like, I'm going to be that guy. So I kept bugging that farmer. I felt terrible about it. And uh, finally, the one day I go out there and the wife's out there with him. He goes, you just don't learn, do you? I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just, this is something I want to be persistent at. And he looks at his wife and she, she goes, he said he grew up on a farm, right? He goes, you grew up on a farm. I'm like, yeah. He goes, she looks at the husband and said, well, make him work for it. And I looked at him. I was like, yeah, make me work for it. And he kind of chuckled a little bit. He goes, I'll make a deal with you. You help me square bail two times. I'll give you a week. I said, done and done. Let me know what time, you, when you need me out here. So I square bailed for him two times and I got my week. And uh, <laughs> the first four days, brutal. Didn't even see a doe. You know, it was, it was rough. And that fifth day he steps out and he's out there a ways, but it was one of them things, you know, and I'm not advocating people shooting deer at long distances, but the big thing about bow hunting is you need to become one with your bow. You need to practice, 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 practice. You can never practice enough. I've gotten to that point where I practice so much that when I grab my bow, I literally feel like an animated character where my hand melts into the bow and it's part of me. I, I just, I'm so comfortable with it. And I practice at long ranges because if I can get practice and comfortable and steady shooting them long distances, that'll be nothing for your 10, 20, 30 yard shots. Cause you're so used to, you know, holding that weight up. And, um, he steps out at like 140 yards and I kind of rip, rip, rip. And, uh, he jumped the fence onto my side. There's a big clear cut area. And he was hung up at 73 yards. He wouldn't, he was bouncing back and forth to 70 to 75, 70 to 75. And um, he finally, you know, when a deer is walking and they hear something and they just, they lock and they, and they stare at it. The only thing that moves on them is their ears. He did that. And when he did that, he was broadside. And right there, I knew his body he was not gonna move for at least 30 seconds i had a 30 second window for him to be stiff like a statue and there was no wind there was no grass or branches in my way and i'm comfortable shooting targets that far all day long so i was like i feel comfortable i'm taking the shot because i know he's not gonna move so i let an arrow fly at 72 yards and i tell you what it was the most satisfying thing but most nerve-wracking thing watching that arrow come up like this and soar to meet its mark right behind his shoulder. You know, it was, that's my, my farthest buck date, you know, 72 yards. Will I ever shoot a deer that far again? Probably not. 
Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, it works. No, it works, not, if it works not out. At all. But but you know, like I said, you know, if if you're if you're super comfortable and you know your equipment, you're comfortable with your equipment, and the opportunity opportunity presents itself. You know, I'm not saying do it, but that's that's a personal call. Like with him, if there would have been any type of wind or possible little branches or weeds that I couldn't see, I would not have taken that shot. But just the way he locked and there was nothing there, I knew he wasn't going to accidentally move after I shot. You know, um, this yeah, I, <laughs> when that arrow made contact, my jaw just went, huh? no way. <laughs> that's but so that satisfying. One, that one actually scared me um, because we let him sit for uh, two hours. No, yeah, two and a half hours and uh, came back up. We bumped him. He wasn't dead yet. And uh, so we backed out and I wake up at midnight, the thunder, and it's downpouring outside. I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> so we get out at, I think, five o'clock in the morning and there's no trace of blood at all. And um, never found my arrow, and even after we found him. But, you know, sun comes up and you were pretty much walking blind. There's nothing to go off of. And I sat down on a log and this is where I think Onyx, I got on Onyx and I started zooming. I sat there like, okay, if I was a deer and I was hurt, where would I go? Cause there's no water around anywhere. And I found what looked to be an old dried out waterbed. And I'm like, maybe there's a little bit of luck. He's over there. I started walking that way and I got within 150 yards of it. And I seen his antler sticking out of the grass. I'm like, no freaking way. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's awesome that's yeah, awesome it yeah. yeah it's just when public when it comes to public i get the biggest thing of advice i have to say honestly is scout 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 that's what it comes down to and the second thing definitely have patience because you're gonna have times where somebody walks in on you or you know public land stuff but the more time you put into scout and not necessarily just trail cameras. I'm talking get up on a big hill and glass them. Watch them come out in the fields from a far distance away where you're not going to spook them. Figure out their movements. Then pay attention to their movements at different times of the year. When you do all these things and you hunt the same thing over and over and over, and you recollect what they do all those years, like I said before, it's like a puzzle. And it's going to put itself together, and you'll be successful. Man, I think you dropped some really, really good nuggets here for the listeners. Uh, definitely learned something about punt in public. Um, <laughs> I, I hope you shoot a big, big, that big giant in uh, in Iowa this year. I'll let you know how Kansas goes if we draw out. Oh, we're gonna I do, know. please. We're going to know on June first. Yeah, pl- please let me know how that goes. I'll, I'll be watching your guys' videos and waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll stay in touch. I got your number. I, I got you on TikTok, obviously. Um, but right. for people that are listening to the podcast, where can they connect with you and uh, keep up with your your hunting adventures? Um, so kind of uh, quite a few different places. Uh, yeah, Outdoor X Media. You know, we're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, and then my you find me on TikTok at Shropshire Outdoors, uh, and then I have a Shropshire Outdoors Instagram. And then just Christian Shropshire on Facebook. So kind of a little bit all over the place on the social media platforms. Yeah, no problem. Uh, well, thanks again, man, for for jumping on and doing this with me this late in the evening. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no, man. Hey, I really appreciate you guys letting me come on here and just kind of tell my story a little bit and share some hunts. 
Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.